Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Well, if you drink coffee in the morning or say matcha, something to get you going, what if I told you you could double the power of what you drink to wake up and energize your brain? Bio-Optimizers. It's an industry-leading digestive supplement created with a special recipe to help boost brain performance. Interestingly, the secret is they have a product called Primer Gen V, a potent liquid vitamin formula loaded with absorbable vitamin Bs, and Primergen M, which is a powerful liquid trace mineral blend, both 99% absorbable nutrients. And these nutrients are important cofactors in your body when you take them with beverages like green tea or coffee. Again, this increases the boosting effects of these substances. For instance, the fulvic and humic acid can increase the effect of caffeine. So there you go. If you add cream or butter to your coffee or your tea, the nutrients help release the butyric acid for all day energy. You get a full spectrum of vitamin B, vitamin of course, and minerals. You add that to their K-Apex enzyme and energy supplement and the effect could be even stronger. BioOptimizers calls this their brain boost stack. They're running special for you at BioOptimizers.com slash Dr. Drew Brain. That is B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash D-R-D-R-E-W-B-R-I-A-N Get an additional 20% off the normal package price with a coupon code Dr. Drew 20, D-R-D-R-E-W 20. Get your brain going, optimize your daily focus. The promotion is only while quantities last. Hey, and welcome everybody to Dr. Drew Podcast. Be sure to keep winning the sales of the Corolla Pirate Ship. Click through on those banners. Uh, also, if you could, check out drdrew.tv. I want you to go sign up there, and uh, I do a live show sometimes every week where I just answer questions, and I want you guys, we'll put out a blast at drdrew.tv. And uh, I want you to join us and ask the question, whatever was on your mind. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, Dr.com, the family podcast there. Don't forget After Dark. It's uh, People seem to like that podcast. And, uh, yeah, check it out. It's all at drdrew.com. And I want to welcome my guest, Dr. Terry Lindsay. The book is Measuring Up. Uh, am I right? The, the subtitle too, Gary, is that correct? Yep. A Guide to Help Students Retrain Their Brains for Maximum Academic Capability. Available at Amazon. There's a website also called Brain Matters with a Z, Matters, BrainMatters.com. And uh, Terry is the uh, owner of Brain Matters. It's a program for kids meant to help improve auditory processing, executive functioning, attention focus. Terry, welcome. And can you do that for adults? <laughs> Sometimes. Good. Because I'm, 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 my aging brain is needing, uh, it's, it's needing a massage. And uh, Terry is also a licensed educational psychologist. And so I have uh, questions about things like cognitive distortions and all the good things that we do, our brains do with ourselves. But first, tell me about brain matters. Okay. Well, in the age of neuroplasticity, mm. right? Tell we now about that. know, right? We know the brain's plastic, mm-hmm. right? So we know that what we practice is what we hardwire, okay? 
And so at Brain Matters, um, we get to – we train the brain exactly the way an athlete would train, okay? Nice. Do, do you happen to play tennis at all? I don't, but I know that's good for brain. Okay. All right. So in tennis, there are three fundamental skills that you have to have to be successful on the court, right? Forehand, backhand, serve. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in learning, there are fundamental skills that, that have to be working optimally in order to be successful in the classroom or even in life, right? Yep. First one, attention. That's a secret sauce, okay, for learning. All right. Yeah. Second one, visual processing speed, important for reading. Third one, auditory processing, really important in math. Okay. In Mem- math, I uh-huh. know that. Yeah. And then reading comprehension also for auditory. And then memory, right, speaks for itself. And then, of course, executive functioning skills. Mm-hmm. So if even one of these skills isn't working optimally, then learning becomes hard. And if it's hard, kids, they don't want to do it. There's a lot of research that shows that some of these things like attentionality and executive functioning, regulation of various types, emotional regulation, focus, starts in our attachment uh, processes, that the interpersonal experience and the being the object of scrutiny by other minds helps develop that. Is there a deficiency in that these days? It feels like kids aren't getting enough of that. You know, it's hard to tell. I mean, we are a product of our environment, mm-hmm. right? But um, – you know, we don't – we try to go to the, uh, you know, that fundamental core issue that's going on. But there's so much about the brain that we still don't know. We're not quite sure mm. about those things. And you gave me some brain cards. They're, yes. they're weird. What's on these things? <laughs> what is this? Well, there's different shapes, yeah. and colors. Happy faces, tennis shoes, yeah. numbers, letters. Yeah. They're great. Do for- I have to remember all that? No. you. Oh. you so there's been tons of research out there about card categorization speeding up visual processing speed, okay? And that's what those do. So you're going to have to – you would have to categorize those as quickly as you could into colors and I then see. switch it and do it into numbers uh-huh. and then letters. And so cognitive flexibility comes into play, fine motor skills, all of that. And the, the little pictures, there's multiple – the numbers line up, the pictures, the colors, the – I get it. Yeah. And it, you time – is. We time them. Time them. Mm-hmm. Oh. They, we desensitize them to that to being timed because you know there's a lot of anxiety out there about sure. being timed. You know, I, one of the things that I don't know I, I personally experienced was you know being challenged academically, like a, a well above my ability, and having to compete again by with smart people and just. I don't know, grinding through hours and hours and hours every day to find that there's some kind of freedom that comes with that, whether it's grinding through mathematical problems and problem sets or reading large amounts of material. Eventually, your brain kind of gets somewhat autonomous with some of that. Is that in the literature anywhere? It is because what you practice is what you hardwire, Yeah. right? And so the more you practice, the more myelin wraps around and the easier it is. It is yeah. kind of extraordinary, but I, I I feel like I'm worried that today we're not doing as much of that very 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 hard work that we're sort of letting people just sort of look things up, examine information rather than really the work of reading and thinking and solving problems that kind of thing. Is that happening? I think so, and I think um, we see a lot of um, my we call it mindset. You know, the difference between the growth mindset where you're looking at the level of effort and you're looking at the progress instead of the talent or the intellect, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so growth mindset would be like mistakes are a huge part of success. 
um, you know, we would see failure as more or setbacks more as uh, an opportunity to grow, right? But we see a lot of students that come in with a fixed mindset. And with that comes some of those cognitive distortions where, where that, that you com- talked yeah, about. Yeah, where does that come from, that fixed mindset? Well, <laughs> that's, that's not- interesting because, you know, I can work with an entire family raised by the same two parents and I can have three students, three of those kids who will have come in with a growth mindset and two that come in with a fixed mindset. So we don't know. You know, mm. every brain is so unique and even raised in the same family by the same people. Are there personality structures associated with some of this? Well, sometimes I think, but, you know, some of it is obviously I work with kids from age six and up. So some of that's developmentally appropriate, right? Yeah. Like black and white thinking and personalizing, you know, things like that. But we try to expedite that for them. We try to get them through those developmental stages a little quicker. Um, but we're definitely – I'm definitely seeing some of that fixed mindset. We have to work on it. A little more of that. Yeah. Is, is that where perhaps some of these cognitive distortions are coming from these days where people are sort of – they're reasoning – I don't know. It's that so much of the tribalism and the discord out there in the world to me feels like well, – I see it. There's various foibles of cognitive distortion, reasoning from conclusion – uh, motivated reasoning, you know, just flat out distorting the facts. Is that more than ever or is it just feel that way now? I think it's – I see a lot of it. Yeah. You know, I see it uh, I, and I, it's, what's interesting for me is I've worked in the private schools and the public schools but I see different things in each environment. So I see that more of the perfectionist and the black and white, oh my gosh, if I make that A minus, I'm a failure mm-hmm. kind of thing in private schools. Whereas in public schools, I see more giving up, labeling because of special ed and those kinds of things. Kids just giving up. I have ADHD. I can't. I, I'm not smart. Why try? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I see different things and I, I see the the distortions take on different roles in different environments. So mm. It's really interesting. Are there strategies to addressing it? I find it deeply frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we're working with the kids, we're lucky because, you know, that everything changes their brain, right? And so, again, we come in from that mindset piece, right? Yeah. And the first thing we do is flood the brain with cl- chemicals, okay? So we come in and with the rewards for the amygdala, the music, the motivation, helping them buy in, all of those things. So we flood the brain chemically, get them ready to learn. And then we come in with the, the drills, if you will, to change attention, processing speed, auditory, those kinds of things. Uh, so then we're changing the actual structure of the brain. Right. Right. And then when we finish that, then we uh, do what I call making the practice harder than the game. Because I don't think we prepare kids for performance. I think coaches have known for years that you make the practice tougher than the game. Mm-hmm. You just do. Well, we don't do that for kids in the classroom. We don't teach them how to test take and then teach them how to do it under a certain amount of pressure, right? And so when they get in a test-taking situation, I mean, what do we have? We have tons of anxiety and depression out there now, right? But that ang- that test anxiety, that worries me. We're not preparing kids for real life, I don't think. Is there something parents can do? Well, I think any time a parent can allow them to do things on their own, they're going to be building that frontal lobe. You know, if a parent does it for them, right. then they take that away from them. 
but any time they can help a child learn to plan something on their own or organize or prioritize any of those executive functioning skills, I mean, that's just super great when parents let them do it because they're building, they're letting their child build their own frontal lobe. It's, it's a, if they're in a high uh, performance environment, it's, it's, a, it's weirdly frustrating. You've got to let them fail. You've got to do it on their own. But man, they have magical thinking like crazy. I remember one time I had a son that I was, you know, just sort of on him, like, when's that paper? How's that going? Just checking in. And um, he, I, I went in and talked to him the morning it was due. And I go, well, how'd that paper go? He goes, oh, I'm going to do it this morning. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not, this is impossible. Zero probability. We're leaving for school in 30 minutes. That's a five-page paper. Not going to happen. And so he was just that magical thinking that it's just going to get done and I I can handle it. And I – I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, the time management thing like that. It was that more than time not, management. It <laughs> was, was it? It was, <laughs> it was some some funky thinking that he <laughs> thankfully got over. But you know that concrete kind of they can't abstract. They don't really reality doesn't have a. F- it's not fully fleshed out. True. So yeah, it's like well, so parents do need to. We need to let them fail, but we also need to stay on top of stuff. It's, that's true, yeah. and you know those those that frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until the late twenties. So there is there's hope. But, and oh, yeah. now we can expedite that now, but you know at least you know it's coming at Are some there, point. Is particular exercises to expedite that, that like parents yes. can do. Oh, like parents can do. Well, the brain cards are one of those things, Mm -hmm. you know, categorizing, planning, things like that. And when I talk to parents about it, uh, you know, I just, I get, I guess, again, just express the need for them to do it on their own. You know, guide them, but let them do those things because that's just so important. Oh my God! If parents swoop in and do it for them, it's then you've done nothing. Right. Zero. Right. Um, what kinds of stuff worry you these days? I'm sorry. What kind of things worry you? Anything that worry you about what's going on? That today? worry me. Yeah. Well, one of those things about not preparing kids for pressure—that's that's important—and then all the pressure that they have on them about getting into colleges and doing those kinds of things—that uh, worries me. And I also worry that we're not doing the right kinds of things in schools, like really training kids in those. You know, in the cognitive areas, would really solve a lot of things. I'm not sure we'd have a lot of special ed if we really retrained the brain in certain areas. So oh, really? I really feel strongly about that. Having been a special ed teacher, having been a school psychologist, and watched it, I think all the time when I'm watching, when I'm testing kids, I think, oh my gosh, this kid so needs visual processing speed. That would be a game changer for his whole life. Uh-huh. We had four kids last summer that went through the program in Carmel that were special ed kids that are not special ed kids now. And, and how, do you s- how do you select those kids? How does somebody know if their child is somebody that should be eligible for that kind of thing? And where would you find it? Well, th- these parents just found out about us and came on their own. And so that we, ha- we run the program in Carmel in the summers as well. And they went through the program and I didn't know their kids – their students were special ed. But the letters that came after from the parents mm. were – one was from the East Coast and three were from California. And they were like, he doesn't qualify for special ed anymore, which it, was super. Amazing. And what's the program? The You mean the Brain Matters program? Yeah. That's the, something you do in the summer? Yes. Yeah. Tell me brain, about it. brain labs. So yeah. we, we have brain labs. We, have, we hold one at Stanford. We hold one at UCLA. 
We hold them in Carmel, Santa Barbara, Orange County. They're five-day programs because it takes 20 hours to change the brain in visual processing speed, 30 hours in auditory. Hmm. That's not a lot of time, mm-hmm. right? That's not that's not a lot to to change your whole life, right? No. You have to keep practicing it after you've done that? Well, if it were if it were you or me, we would because we're not in school. But they're in school, so when they get it back in school, they're like an athlete going back in season because they're using their processing speed and their working memory and all that, right? But you and I, we have to maintain it because we're not we're not using it. Interesting. And so do you measure the differences as they go through it or is it just something you expect from the application of the particular procedures? We measure it at the end if the parents want me to. But about four years ago, University of Reno, Nevada did our clinical trials. And so we know we have the research to support. So we just don't have anecdotal only. We have the research And what kids should be looking into this? Kids who want to raise their SATs and ACT scores, okay? Mm -hmm. Last year we had someone raise his scores so much that we – he got flagged for cheating. And wow. We had to write a letter. <laughs> Crazy. Um, dyslexia, uh, ADHD, concussions. Those are the things that we see the best. And then executive functioning, visual processing speed. A lot of these kids are really, really smart, but they can't get through the test enough to show their potential. And we can speed that up for them. In fact, that's the easiest thing to speed up is visual processing speed. Interesting. I know. Uh, it, does it – yeah, let's say a kid doesn't have access to this. Just, just you know, being involved in a academic pursuit, reading a lot. Do those help, or do you have to do specific interventions? You really have to do specific training. It's kind of like the difference between going to the gym on your own and going to the gym and having a trainer put you through a, a particular formula. But um, but we do, you know, for kids who can't access it, we do have scholarships in, in a and, lot of and schools. Is some of that stuff available at thebrainmatters.com? Yes. Yes, definitely. And is that a program you can uh, people can do at home? Well, again, that's that's that difference between someone going to the gym on their own um, and someone having a trainer. So there's really a formula to it. We do have a curriculum that some of the private schools that are really progressive are putting it into their curriculum now. So it it seems fair to say that eventually we may have something where people can do something at home. I want to go a little bit back to the cognitive di- distortions. Okay. You, you talked about how you correct them. Is there any way to address them in common discourse? Like I find it so frustrating when people are distorting things cognitively. I just want to have an objective conversation. <laughs> Is there a strategy for getting through some of that? No. You're shaking your head. <laughs> I, oh, don't, I don't know. Terribly I, I, discouraging. I, I, feel, I feel exactly as you do <laughs> Yeah, because when, when it comes at you, it just begs no alternative. It's like, wow, do you hear yourself? Like, I know. With adults, uh, more more frustrating for me, but with with students, I think, oh gosh, we can help you with that. You can <laughs> you fix know? that, yeah. right? I think that. And, and again, you fix it with the executive functioning. Uh, we can fix that with with growth mindset mm. and come in with growth mindset, or you know the 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 things that you know, like breaking apart the labeling, or looking at their payoff, or getting them in the gray. You know those kinds of things that that are just I think typical for psychologists. But we can we just kind of weave them into our program. The kids just really getting don't. them to think better. Yeah, they don't even know they're there. Really, right? <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want people to know about the program, or what some of the things that excite you now? 
Well, I think um, I think it's important for them to know that there are several ways that you can do this program. So when I say it's a 20-hour program or a 30-hour program, you can do a brain lab, which goes for a week, right, and get all the hours in. Or they can spread it out and do it after school. Or they can do it on Christmas break. You know, a lot of people fly in from China and India to do it during the breaks. Mm. Um, or some schools are actually putting it in their curriculum. So my um, – what I want to do is just get it out there and let kids access it. Is there anything like this for adults out there to help them? Because there's so many things as we age, you know, aging and whatnot that uh, can be improved, right? Yes. Are there yes. things like that out there for adults? Well, I have a couple of adult groups that I run. And they're not quite as intense as the ones that we run with the students, but it's fun. They're, they're a lot of fun. Like what stuff is there for adults? Well, uh, I've had a, a group of women who were middle-aged, you know, that, that called me and said, hey, we've got about eight women that want to do this. I've had groups of men and women. Uh, I've also had uh, groups of uh, from different businesses where they've had me come in and uh, they wanted me to work with their employees for productivity. And so we do a cognitive and take a look at um, how they learn and what's, what might be a challenge and what might be a strength. And then we use that as a baseline and, and do that. You do that for each individual person? Yes. You can't do it for a group. You can't sort of give I can do both. So they can go one-on-one or we can do it in groups. So if you were doing it for a group, what kinds of advice would you be giving them? Well, not so much advice as um, more like if I was coaching a team, mm-hmm. right? So they would be actually going through drills that would move them in a certain direction, drills that I broke down, and then we build it up. So if we were looking for – let's say we had a group and they were weak in their working memory or they were weak in visual processing speed, then we'd have uh, stations and this group – would be doing a visual processing speed station and maybe we'd have a card station doing fine motor and cards over there. Like these brain cards I've got here? Yes. And then we've got one where they're on balance boards and where we're working on their working memory, which is very interesting for the adults to to see the balance and when they're having to throw the beanbags in the air and then remember the numbers. It's it's very frustrating and and fun at the same time. So so, and again, for people that don't maybe don't know, working memory is – Doing a couple things at the same time, essentially. Yes, yes, or, or holding information in your mind that you can manipulate, you know, while you're doing something else. Oh, like I used we're to be we're having so used- good at that when I was younger, <laughs> and I've lost a lot of that. It's very frustrating. I hear that from parents all the time. Oh. As soon as we finish with their children, they'll say, "Okay, now what about me? Yeah, and what can we do for me?" I used to literally be able to do three or more things and manipulate and think and, and focus on one thing in front of me while two other ones were going. Now it's just the thing in front of me. Just the thing in front <laughs> and, and of you. And that's it. And that's good because the brain's not meant to multitask, uh, even though we do it. But that's that's. It good. felt a little more comfortable when I could do when that. you could multitask. Yes. I know. And now I know. it's like, what did I want to do a few minutes ago? I, was, I <laughs> wish I hadn't been focused so much on what I was doing. I would have remembered what I wanted to do. I know. Uh, and there's no way to improve that. No special exercises we can do on our own. Sure. Tell me. Where are they? <laughs> I'd have to show you. I'd, oh. have, to, I'd have to show you, you some of those them? things. Well, you know, again, that, that working memory, that being up on the balance board and tossing a beanbag and, and even numbers are on one side and odd numbers on the other side. And then I have you go back to the first number that you ended on and then go back to this one. So it's, it's a very – it's kind of a complex 
uh, thing, but it's it's difficult and adults. It's very difficult for adults. Um, the cards are the cards are fun and a little bit easier than the working memory pieces. No, I need to get that working memory back. Yeah, but yeah, we can we can definitely get most everything back. Uh, but it's just a matter of whether people are willing to, you know, go through the training to do it. And none of this is online because we need the motor skills involved in order for it to transfer into skill, into classroom, and into life. Why not? Uh, let's say for the adults again. Why not just like I've noticed? I can barely play the piano anymore, and that's just decayed. Why not just sit down and start taking piano lessons again and really work on that? Wouldn't that be a Way of getting things Absolutely. similar phenomena back in the brain? Absolutely. Yeah. Any kind of practice. Mm. But remember, everything in the brain is practice. So you can either practice the things that make you productive or you can practice the things that don't, right? And so that's the good and the bad news because everything is practice in the brain. It's, in other words, bad habits too. Exactly. Exactly. Huh. Is is not doing technically a bad habit? You know well, what I mean? Is, is the is the null set the same as a training in something bad? Well, yes. If you still want to be good at something right, and you you're procrastinating, you right, right, you're losing it. The book is called Measuring Up, a guide to help students retrain their brains for maximum academic capability. Anything else we missed? Uh, no. On this book, I wrote it for parents because I know that navigating the educational system is really difficult at times, whether they – are over-involved or under-involved or whatever. And so I wrote it for them so they could find an ethical alternative to giving their child every advantage. You mean this is for the, this is for the over-involved? No, this is, for a, this is for a parent who wants to give their child every advantage in an ethical way. Well, give me some more hints on that. What's in there? Um, well, we talk about um, testing and what that means in the age of neuroplasticity. We talk about getting a baseline, how to know whether your child needs to go through brain training or the fact that they nothing has to be wrong for them to benefit from that. Right. Uh, and so we talk about all those th- things. We talk about the stories of different students who've gone through the program, raised their SATs or ACTs. A lot of parents don't know that brain training's out there. I get that more than anything. I get, well, why didn't I know this was out here? I- I'm guessing it's mostly involved parents. Right? I mean, like, if anything, over-involvement is the problem. Sometimes. Sometimes in... in uh, but I, I can't imagine how this self-selecting population would be under-involved. They just wouldn't show up. Right. Or so, or they're not paying attention to, right. the, to the right things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I would imagine the only thing that uh, we could, you would see of, of, of uh, excessive nature would be the, you know, the helicopter parenting, that kind of thing. Right. And we talk about that and... and in the book about you know how to how to be involved and in a positive way. Is there any basic rules you're going to tell people about? <laughs> just exactly what you and I were just talking about that help guide the child to do, but let them do. Let them fail. Let them fail. Exactly. Well, uh, Terry Lindsay, we appreciate you being here again. Check out the book "Measuring Up: A Guide to Help Students Retrain Their Brains for Maximum Academic Capability." Available at Amazon. Of course, also check out Brain Matters with a Z M A T T E R Z dot com. And we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me. Thank you. And we're going to take a little break. Back with your calls after this. 
you like this show, you're going to love Brad Behavior with Brad Gorski, the newest podcast from the Lady Gang Network and Podcast One. From the red carpet to the runway, TV personality, stylist to the stars, and author Brad Gorski gets undressed in candid interviews with other celebs and friends. Each week, they contemplate and celebrate fashion, pop culture, and life's random surprises. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss Brad Behavior every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. All right, welcome back to the show. Now we're going to get on to some calls. This is uh, Dan. Go ahead there, Dan. Oh, hey, Dr. Drew. This is, this is Dan. It's really great to talk to you. I've been listening to you for years since the like, old classic love line, so it's really great I appreciate to be on the show. It. What's going on? So I know I've, talk, I've heard you talk about this here and there with different callers in the past regarding like, kind of adults with ADHD, right. and um, I've been on Vyvanse for about nine years now. Right. Um, I was on Ritalin when I was a kid, uh-huh. and... Um, like for like two years and seemed like I kind of leveled off and did okay in school. Still had a hard time focusing, but I did all right. I did well enough, I guess. And then didn't need it for about 10 years or so until I got a promotion at work and all of a sudden kind of everything fell off the rails. <laughs> um, in what sense? What happened? Keep... what happened? So I had brand new responsibilities. I became a supervisor and kind of my, my previous job that I was really good at, I felt um, I was unable to kind of handle it in like a supervisory kind of, um, setting. So I went back to my doctor. I said, I gave him my history from being a kid and being on Ritalin. Mm. One of those kids that were, a bunch of kids were on Ritalin back then. It seemed like everybody got Ritalin. Right. And this, um, this was so a, I didn't know if it was, was me or... a non-psychiatrist yeah. who's prescribing the Vyvanse? So this was uh, my primary care physician who has, he had specialized in um, children with ADHD um, in previous experience, but he is a general practitioner. Yeah, but children with ADHD is a totally different phenomenon than adults with ADHD. Have you? Sure. Well, they they referred me to a psychiatrist okay. who basically co-signed and said, "Yes, this, right. this would be a good treatment for you." And my right. primary doctor since has just been, you know, writing it for me. Yeah. And what what's the question? So I, I know that you've you haven't exactly you know been very. Um, you haven't really co-signed on, oh, yeah, um, you know, the late ADHD stimulants are obviously very, you know, you're very concerned about people being on them long-term because I think at the time we didn't know what the long-term effects would be. I don't, I'm not sure if we still do. We but don't, really. Good. I mean, well, they're not devastating, but but I, 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 I worry about adults with an addictive history or, or a family history of addiction getting on psychostimulants. Yep. That's the group I worry about, uh, and and yeah. and all I ask in adults with ADD ADHD is that they eva- be evaluated by a psychiatrist, and mm-hmm. then I'm sort of like okay with it. Now, if it were me, I'd want to also really get into some behavioral therapies for ADHD and you know, figure out ways to retrain my brain so I can get over sure. some of this and not have to take a very powerful psychostimulant. But there's nothing intrinsically wrong with psychostimulants. I mean, if it's working for you and it's in, you have been properly followed, I mean, I would definitely follow up with a psychiatrist and make sure that you're not, you know, staying on it too long, that your dosing is right. Uh, you know, just to make sure, I, I just don't think a primary care doctor should be the only participant in your care. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, and I should have rephrased it. So like I said, they referred me to a psychiatrist who basically kind of said, this would be a good course of treatment. And I was there for you know, talk therapy for few months and you know i first was resistant to going back on medication yeah um just right. to see what you know what right. can so i do now kind um, of a good, and kind so, of, but it's still a good story you tell me a good story i mean you're telling a story where things are going well but i would just say follow up with that psychiatrist that's all 
that's a good point, especially because it's been nine years now. And yeah. obviously, I'm always want to make sure that I'm not on stuff I shouldn't have to be yes, on. Yes, exactly, but, exactly. And, and you're really getting to the well, point where you're sort of committing to lifelong therapy, and that's a, that's a big deal. Which I'm not opposed to. It's certainly a lifelong medication. I might as well do therapy then instead if if you can. I'm not opposed to know, lifelong medication patient. if it's working and if you know we if you understood the risk benefits and an expert is you know ringing in on it. I don't have a problem with that. I, again, I what I have a problem with is primary care people. You know, giving it to people where they don't really have the training to evaluate them, and then following it. And sometimes there's a, a drug history that either in the genetic heritage or in that particular individual. And things don't go well. They don't. They don't go well. And that's in adults because it, it's a trickier phenomenon in adults. But Dan, it, it sounds like you manage this exactly the way it should be managed. So I, I think good. Just make sure you know this is long term therapy now that you do follow up with a psychiatrist. Dan, what's going on? Oh, Bob, I mean Bob, Bob, Bob. Hey, this is Bill. You mean Bill? Well, it says Bob up here, but I'll take Bill. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll go by either. Okay, what's going yeah, on? Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks, Doctor Drew, for taking my call. Yeah. I, I have a quick question about uh, um, testosterone um, replacement um, mm-hmm. therapy and and what your thoughts of pros cons. Um, and- uh, I would do anything to get on testosterone therapy myself, uh, but I can't because of my prostate cancer history, and um, you know my PSA is not zero point zero. If, if it, I had to talk with my own physician though, where I said, look, if it's if it goes down to zero point zero after some radiation or something and stays there. I'm going to bug you about testosterone therapy because I do believe that bringing men's testosterone back to a normal-ish level, not necessarily at 19-year-olds, but just sort of supporting it, I think that's a good thing. I've certainly seen how bad it gets for men when they have androgen receptor blockade because I'm, I'm very involved in prostate cancer treatment these days. And men even get dementias when you block their testosterone systems. So we, we as men are very dependent on our wellness and well-being and our functioning on our testosterone. The, the real difficult part with testosterone replacement therapy is how much and what your target levels be and what are the risks. It's not, it's not an exact science yet. So there are – it's something that you, know, you can't just uh, aggressively recommend. But I'm generally a fan. I, I, where, where are you in on this? Yeah, wow! I'm I'm surprised to hear that. I I'm I've got a buddy of mine who's on it and, and swears by it. And you know, you'd make the mistake of going going online and trying to research. And obviously, everybody has you know an extreme opinion it's one way or the, the other. Place. So it's all over the place. I, I love to hear the I love to hear the fact that uh, you you are a fan. So. I, I'm a, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm not an enthusiast. Let's put it that way. Sure. And, and I worry about guys getting boosted up to the point where they're jacked up and feel great. That's not the goal. The goal is to sort of support your biology and try to keep it kind of optimized. We're not looking for euphoria and adding 60 pounds to your bench. We're just looking for sort of supporting things. Going beyond that or even maybe even supporting it, we don't know, may increase the risk of vascular disease. Does not seem to increase the risk of uh, prostate cancer, but if you have prostate cancer, it's bad news. It really accelerates it. So it's not without its risk. Uh, but you know, with someone that does that kind of thing, I mean, you can certainly look into it. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's great advice. I, right, I really man. appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks. Great to talk to you. And this is uh, Bert. Hey, Bert. What's going on? Uh, what's going on, man? Um, first, I, I got. I got. Thank you for taking the call. And second, like how I grew up um, was 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 pretty bad. It was like a. It was like a damn horror movie. And um, those moments that I'd catch you and like Adam Carolla on MTV. 
it, it, it meant a lot. It like helped me through a lot of stuff that I needed to find a better outlet for. Right. Um, my problem um, is is um, I have a woman that I I'm, I'm, I I love very much, and unfortunately, uh, when we first got together, we recognized that she was having a problem uh, with with taking pain pills. Um, and she decided to go and get into a clinic program. Um, first, it was supposed to only be for a year. Uh, she was on methadone. Um, some sort of insurance uh, thing happened, so they switched her to Subutex and then Suboxone and stuff like that. Um, basically, the last four years, uh, things have changed dramatically. Um, and as far as her personality, she used to be outgoing, um, very artistic stuff like that. Now she's basically very introverted and depressed and like our sex life is there. There is no sex life. Right. Like, how much, that, how much a is she taking? Portion is gone. How much is she taking? Um, I'm not sure exactly what the exact dose is, but I, um, because I don't, I've always been, I, I don't like medications and stuff like that. I've got a lot of friends who would mess around with like the dope and stuff in my area. I live about two hours from Baltimore. So we got a, a, a big culture around here with people having problems. So I try not, I, I've tried to be a part of it and get into her counseling portion of it, but she doesn't want me in that. And I can't force that. Right. And like throughout the last month, um, about a month and a half ago, my, my mother was, who was a monster, um, was sick with lung cancer and died for two years. She never talked to me. She never did anything. And basically I tried to push this thing because I've been bettering myself and getting my ADD and my psychological PTSD type issues handled. I was trying to go and say to her, Hey, I want to, get you to where you feel better enough that you maybe don't need to be on that. All right. What and it basically say? I I've lost my wife. She basically she she left me. She she won't listen to me. Right. I like I've heard about it going into your bones and stuff and Well that's you're talking about methadone, but that's not, that's folklore. Look, Suboxone if you can get it down to a couple milligrams, you're in pretty good shape. Even if you can get down below eight milligrams or four or something like that, she's probably taking more like thirty two and that's intoxicated. And it's it's a problem. It's a concern. I, I I am I'm open to the use of Suboxone in very difficult cases, but I'm not an enthusiast, and I'm concerned about the unrestrained and long term use of it. It it it, it, it it may keep people alive for a while, but it, it they eventually kind of fall off the cliff like this, where the side effects of the medicine. I wouldn't want to be on. I wouldn't want to be on two milligrams of that. I wouldn't be able to function normally. Of course, I, 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 I couldn't like, I mean, I, I recreationally, a few, like I'm talking back before my son was born, I tried not even a little chunk of it. And I'm, I'm not one of those people that take pain pills or anything like that. I can't sniff things. My nostrils don't work like that. Yeah. But like, I, it just, I don't understand how people take it. And I mean, I do know, understand that some people just use it as a stepping stool, but I mean, it's, it's, it's it, going it keep, on quite it, a while. It and I mean, the last it, four years, have been like terrible, and I, I don't know how to how to how to reach her with the proper information. That I'm not like I don't want to anger her more and and stuff like that. I'm not trying to force her to maybe you know come back into the family Let dynamic me tell you that we have. What you can do? But, is she, is she, did she actually leave you? Um, we're still in the same place. Uh, the situation's a little weird. See, I when she met me, I was 
about a year and a half into being a single dad, I had a ex-girlfriend that was just absolutely terrible. And four months in, she abandoned me and the baby. Oh, and I said, screw you. I'm, I'm going to do it. And I, I did it. It's another and, drug addict. She, um, she also was a drug addict. So she's kind of like still here. And now he's he's developing some of my behavioral problems and stuff from his, right. his uh, natural mother. And like I have, I mean, it kind of started from that because he would go wandering because he, he may be on the spectrum. We're not sure. We're trying to get that diagnosed by a doctor here. Yeah. And like he, if we have alarms everywhere, if he thinks he can get out, he'll get out. So that added some stress. Him constantly being defiant, even when he's medicated All right. so, um, properly and stuff. So it's like we're okay. trying to still we're still there. We're functioning. We'll, we'll talk to one another, right, but look. we we haven't even broached the topic right. so, about so, the serious stuff. All right. So you need to have either your own therapist. You have your have your own support program. You got a lot going on, dude. Either you get your own therapist and or you go to a program called Al-Anon, you get a sponsor, and you just start working a program there. I'm telling you that will make a difference not just in your life but in how you deal with her, and it will change the course of her condition as well. Al-Anon, therapist, and if you can't afford a therapist or can't access therapist, just start going to Al-Anon meetings and get a sponsor. There's a lot going on, dude, a lot going on, Bert. I, I congratulate you for a sort of – Gaining some insight into what's going on with you. you. You seem like you're really working hard on yourself, and I want to fully support and endorse what you're doing, but it's going to take more. you got to have, you got to have somebody in your corner. got to have somebody in your corner, or, or this isn't going to work. Uh, Nathaniel, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I got a, I got a lot of work, a lot of this, a lot of that. You know, like, I, I, I got to fix buildings. I have to write papers. I have to you know, be a, a, a productive member of society. I have to, you know, write letters for the church. I've got all this stuff going on. And then uh, I got, you know, I got nobody behind me, mm. you know. Do you have any friends? And then, uh, and then it, it becomes, it feels very challenging, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, when you don't have the wind at your sails. Do you have friends? Uh, well, I've, I've got... You know, I've got some decent friends, you know, some, some really, really good friends, but I have, I have problem asking for, I have problems asking for help. Why? You know, like, uh, I, I guess I feel like, uh, like, uh, like I should be, I I should be the monument. The monument. But yeah, I should be, I should be the stable place, you know? And then, uh, you know, if I ask for help, then that means... Do you have a bunch uh, of... Are you responsible for a family? I'm responsible for... For? Many, many, many things. Now now I'm only responsible for myself. Okay. But, but, you know, I'm... You know, I've got... I'm wrapped up in... Well, I just... I guess I'm wrapped up in so much that... uh, well, Nathaniel, the, the, what jumps out of me is you sound depressed, right? Yes, I am. Okay. I actually am. Right. I have to admit that. Yeah, I and, will admit that. And that's okay. Yeah. You've depleted yourself. And there's sort of there's a couple ways to approach this. Uh, you know, one is start taking better care of yourself, setting bound limits, not you know over over committing yourself, taking long walks, starting to exercise, sleeping right, all that crazy stuff. All that simple stuff will make your mood better. So that's one thing. Two, 
Get somebody in your corner. Just, just like I was telling the last guy. Get get a friend or somebody who genuinely gives a shit about you to support you. Somebody. Right? Because you're now you're just I just feel the intense isolation that you've got and the depression. And then thirdly, yeah. if you start thinking about hurting yourself or if another stuff is working, it's that's time for medication. And all three of these things sometimes are necessary to get, get you get you out of the hole. But somehow you've gotten in there. And you can climb out. You can climb out, no problem. I know. But you got to start doing the do. You got to start, you know, really paying attention to self care, paying attention to your mood, paying attention to overcommitting, paying attention to yourself. You're entitled to that. It's okay. No one, no one's supposed to work themselves to death. I know we all do a little bit of that, but uh, it's you're not going to be of any use to anybody, as they always say. You know, you got to put a Put an oxygen mask on yourself before you hold it to somebody else. You've got to take care of yourself. You're not going to be any good for anybody. So it's A, self-care, exercise, sleep, nutrition, all that good stuff, all the usual stuff, long walks, classical music. B, support somebody or hopefully somebody's that give a goddamn about Nathaniel. And then C, if that doesn't work, then you talk to a doctor about that. And you would be in a position – where you probably would even have to see an expert because it's a pretty simple maneuver to treat depressions like this. So an average doctor would probably be in a decent position to, to help you with that. Um, but uh, always, I always recommend seeing a psychiatrist if you can, if you're going to be on these medications. Thank you all for the calls. Thank you, Nathaniel. I got, I'm pulling for you, man. And uh, we're going to uh, take a little extendo break. Uh, thank you all for calling. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Imagine a world where animals and humans coexist in harmony, where wild animals thrive, habitats are protected, and marginalized communities are empowered. At International Animal Rescue, this is our vision. Our holistic, community-led projects not only rescue animals, but also protect and replenish precious habitats, creating a better future for us all. But we can't do this without you. Show your support now and help keep the wild, wild. Visit internationalanimalrescue.org.